Welcome to the Pop Culture Palace Presents Podcast, the official show for the Pop Culture Palace website. Every other week on this feed, you'll find an episode from a rotating group of shows. This week we bring you Pop Culture Palace Presents Episode 13, Comic Book Ages Part 6, The Modern Age Part 2. Welcome to the Pop Culture Palace Presents. I'm your host, Al Sedana. In this episode, we are continuing our series on the different comic book ages. This episode is the second of two episodes containing our discussion of, well, it depends on who you ask, modern age, copper age, late bronze age, whatever. It's also our last episode covering the different comic book ages. For now. I have some thoughts on doing another series of episodes about comic book history, but this is the last one for now. Now, in case you have forgotten, or for some reason just jumping onto this final episode and skipping the other parts, my co-hosts are John M. Wilson, W. Blaine Dowler, and Brian Zeno. Links to John's Make Ours Marvel podcast, Blaine's Bureau 42 podcast network, and Brian's old Sgt. Fury show, as well as the first five parts of this series, can be found in the show notes. Brian currently does not have his own show, but he and John are the regular rotating co-hosts on my other show, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Now, we are going to play a promo for another podcast and then jump back into the final part of our discussion about the modern age of comics. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe... Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, make ours Marvel. And I'm glad that you brought up the rise of the direct market because I think that's another influence, especially when you get into the 90s where they were basically replaced by the direct market. So it wasn't just, now you can go to a dedicated comic shop. I mean, there was a time when really the independent comics and Dazzler were the only books that you had to go to a comic shop for. You could still get the rest off the spinner rack at your local convenience store. But then in the 90s, pretty much every major comic publisher except Archie said, no, we're going Diamond exclusive. So then the product 
in terms of a monthly periodical form, then became a comic shop exclusive. And I mean, to get it into the hands of other people now in the 2000s with the, you know, as the movies rose, then the collected edition trade paperback presence in bookstores has been rising. And that's what I hear from people, you know, working in the comics industry. When a new movie comes out, that's where the bumps happen. You don't get huge bumps of that title from your local comic shop picking up with where they are now. You see the bumps in the collected editions at your local, you know, chapters, Indigo, Barnes and Noble, whatever your local bookseller is. Yeah, and makes sense. that's where that's going. And even the people I know who are dedicated comic fans, a lot of people I know have shifted away from the monthly periodicals and now they're picking and choosing which trade paperback collections they're going to get to get the complete stories because it has changed to long form storytelling. You know, whereas in the we talked about the golden age, very little went past one issue. In the 60s and even into the 70s before the rise of the direct market, with rare exception, most stories they kept at two or three issues because they couldn't guarantee that the store where you bought part one was also going to carry parts two and three. It wasn't <laughs> until the direct market where that became something they could bank on. And the biggest rule breaker in that regard, Marvel kept getting flack from their readers and, and letter writers saying, why do you keep doing these continued stories? I can't get all the parts. Yeah. Even I mean, people could go back and point to the Kree Scroll War, saying that was nine parts. Yeah, it was published in nine in nine parts. But you go back and read it; it's two or three part connected stories that just flowed from one to the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it wasn't until I think Marvel's Contest of Champions was only three issues, but that was a dedicated mini series, not even an ongoing. So more that started in the eighties with some experimentation with publishing. Crisis on Infinite Earths being the first major crossover. I mean, not the first one, period. There were, you know, the Avengers Defenders War bounced back and forth between the two books. Oh, that's, hey, Alan, Al John and I don't know anything about that story. <laughs> yeah. I, that's the thing I was going to say was like the big exception proving the rule in the 70s with that Avengers Defenders War. It was like, what, six issues of, you know, between two titles. Yeah, there, there was also uh, three issues that bounced back and forth between Daredevil and Iron Man. So they were... There's definitely precedent. There's, it's just not Isolated. nearly as common as it would become until the 90s when your Superman books had little triangle numbers on it so that you knew what order to read it. So when you went out to buy this week's Superman issue to get the next part of the story, you knew which part that was because it would go from action to Superman to Man of Steel right, and keep rotating through those. And oh, I think yeah. that was a huge part of the 90s was... The, the fact that they were now banking on that storytelling, like John said, this is the era where now like, you feel obligated to buy a title you weren't otherwise buying to get the whole story. Crisis on Infinite Earths itself isn't a huge demarcation line aside from the fact that, yeah, that showed the power of crossovers because anything that had that inf- Infinite Crisis or Crisis on Infinite Earths label got a bit of a sales bump. So then they started planning for that and... That was the thing in the 90s. It was what is this summer event? And the summer events are still largely running today where you'll have that four to six to, to ten issue miniseries going through the middle. But I mean, I think that seven issue Civil War miniseries ended up at 135 issues or something by the time you count all the tie-ins. Yeah, look at yeah. Try and get all of Blackest Night. Going the other oh, side. Yeah. oh, geez. 
which I've got. That's that was actually the last event where I bought every issue in the crossover. Oh, me too. <laughs> Just because, I mean, like Brian, I'm a Marvel zombie, so a lot of those stories were the first my first exposure to DC or to some of those DC properties. And I mean, this is too. I know Black Is Night Review isn't really the point of this podcast, but I just found because of the structure, every crossover was, man, remember when so-and-so was still alive and they were romantically involved with that person over there? God, that must be tough. And then you know who's coming back and how they're going to deal with it. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really one story structure with like wow. copy paste. You, you could almost write the crossovers by doing it. Just plugging into your word processor and going search and replace these names with those names. I have I have only recently begun reading the Jeff Johns uh, Green Lantern run from its beginning in uh, Green Lantern Rebirth, and ha- now having heard you say that, Blaine, I think I'm going to give all but the core miniseries of Blackest Night a skip when I get to it. Uh, I, I, the core is, you know what? Let me go back and look at it because of all of, like the thirty or forty tiles it crossed over with. I would say there are four or five that are worth reading. Oh, okay. But you don't okay. need to go through all 30 or 40. Okay. <laughs> so I, I would do the core. I would do like the Green Lantern and Green Lantern core. And I want to say that the Wonder Woman tie-in miniseries was pretty good as well. That was sticking out of my head. So maybe it was. Yeah. I, I mainly was, I mean, well, I was interested anyway and I bought them all. But a big part for me was I wanted all those damn rings. And I have, <laughs> and I still have them all. I'm looking at them right now. I got all my all my different color. I got all my rainbow rings, plus my Legion flight ring up there. So, yeah, I'm a child. Don't care. But yeah, I think that's that's something else. I think that set at least the late '90s apart was the decision to go Diamond exclusive as the only real comic distributor, and sending everything just to the comic shops. Because that is really the decision that led us to the point we're at now where 100,000 copies of a Marvel or DC title guarantees you a spot in the top 10 sales for the month. You know, on 200,000, you're pretty much guaranteed number one, whereas Archie Comics stayed in the mass market and the grocery stores, and they went through Diamond but refused to do it exclusively, and now Archie will cancel something that's not selling 500,000 if it's carried by grocery stores. Mm. And which is why Archie is now carrying for Marvel their new Digest books that you can buy in the supermarket now because they mm-hmm. have that and Marvel didn't. They're pulling it off and that's... I mean, we could talk a little bit about Archie if we want to, It's, but I think we want to stay focused more on the ages than the comics. But Archie, you can look at that and say how much of this is creative decisions and how much of them are business decisions setting up the ages. Archie weathered the storm in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I find that there's... With Archie, I can point to new stories and old stories because they made conscious shifts in the artwork. But an Archie story from the 70s and an Archie story from the 90s can be very difficult to distinguish if you're not extremely familiar with the company. Sure, you almost have to look at the background stuff. Fashion or... Yeah. Uh slang what they're trying to use and that's be, might be the best way to figure that out yeah but I, yeah I'm I'm wondering if we're going to eventually look back on this and say like that real shift to day and day or day and date digital distribution if that's going to have a mark too hmm. is 
Uh, I mean, DC likes to say that they were the, the first major publisher to get there. Archie actually beat them by two or three months. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, DC did it with the new 52. And a lot of fanfare. That's when they went day and date That's and right. proved that, that, yeah, you can do that and not, you know, and still manage to support the retailers at the same time. And it didn't take Marvel long to catch up with that. That was, I think, the biggest fear that they had was because... I mean, if the comics distribution system, previously they said it was too complicated because there's all multiple distributors with multiple channels. But if it's like a food chain, what we've got now is, you know, it's like cows and grass, right? It's a very linear food chain. And if one leak breaks, the entire ecosystem collapses. And I think that's what they're they're trying to do is, you know, they don't want to harm the retailers who have been in their lifeblood for years and have put poured everything they've got into this business. But at the same time, from what I hear, I mean, I'm not a retailer myself. What I hear from the retailers is that because Diamond effectively knows they have a monopoly, they've allowed certain aspects of the operation of their business to lag because there's no one else to go to. And you know, depending on the quality of your rep, you may or may not have a good experience as a retailer working with Diamond. And as somebody who's been worked at two different stores over time, yeah. Yeah, you can have times where you can have them help you get stuff right away, and there are times where you're like, eh, tough noogies. You ain't getting it. Yeah, I I can tell you just from my experiences, I've been regularly buying up Thunderground in St. Albert, Alberta for years because Roy Kim just runs an awesome shop. His understanding of customer service is phenomenal, but I can tell you without him needing to tell me every single time the diamond rep was switched. Because th- there's this era and there's that era and there's that era just in what happens and what it takes to, to fix issues. And I know it's not Roy because if you go to him and say, like, if you bring an issue to his attention, he will bring you to his computer where you like submit the request and everything through the system. And he will say, okay, this is how we fix it. I'm fixing it now. Click, click, click. They're done. You know, we'll get that. I'll let you know as soon as that comes in. But the rest uh, is out of his hands. Yeah. But you will see him. He will sit there. And, you know, mistakes are rare. Because, like I said, he runs a good shop. But he's very detail-oriented man. But that's part of the issue that retailers are dealing with now is there is a monopoly in the distribution. Mm-hmm. And monopolies lead to laziness because you don't have to compete. What There's no place else for you to go to, yeah. so they're not going to lose the customer. Either deal with it or stop selling comics. It's really the only two choices there. But yeah, I mean that's the one thing part of that because of the rise of the, uh, like you said, the rise of the uh, direct market led to that. And that's I'm wondering, yeah, if digital will be like viewed as a whole new era. And that's one thing I always thought like they should do with like all these Batman Arkham games and all these uh, when the movies come out they you know when you buy them they should always include a free digital code because to get the big problem with the comic shops I mean obviously I love them I worked in quite two of them but the problem with comic shops is that people have to go to the comic shop if they're not going to the comic shop they're not going to buy comics there at least if, the, if you give them a free digital code people have free you have a pretty good chance of somebody going, all right, I'll try it, because it's free. 
and it's there in front of them. They don't have to go anywhere. They can sit on their butt on their computer and type in a code and get it. A friend of mine asked me. Sorry, John. A friend of mine asked me at work recently how to, you know, how he go about helping his son's interest in comics, and I was like, well, um, do you have a tablet? Because that's gonna be a lot easier than trying to go to a shop. Go to this website, download the app, and browse and buy what you want. So, you know, digital comics, while they, while while their impact on the retail market is is debatable. I don't know if it's as minimal as, as some people have said, but but it's certainly helping get people who didn't normally go to the comic shops into reading comics more. <laughs> yes, we can hear you typing, Al. Oh, never mind. I was typing to you. No, it's it's cool. I unplugged my mic, so it's no longer recording. I'm using my laptop's mic, and I have no idea where it is, so I have no idea what I sound like. Uh, <laughs> you sound just the same. Yep. Oh well, that's all right. Well, that's all right then. All right. Well, I think we've gotten to the end of the ages. So one last thing I want to do, stays you know before we finish off is and uh, we'll start with Blaine. Uh, off the top of your head, at least, because I mean, might be hard to say, but what's your favorite age? Um, I don't know. Let's say about twelve. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna make that joke. <laughs> Damn it! But no, I mean, I mean, to some degree, they say like that. You know, the golden age of entertainment is when you were ten, and for me, that's part of it. So, with, with the terms we've been using here, the Bronze Age in the '80s, so the the late '80s, early '90s, are where I really got into comics. In the '80s, it was mostly GI Joe. The '90s is where I really got into the shared universe through New Mutants, X-Factor, and New Warriors. So I do have a soft spot for that. And you know, when people say the 90s were terrible, the first 50 issues of New Warriors by Fabian Nicieza and 25 issues of the art by Mark Bagley and the next 25 by Derek Robertson are my go-to to say, no, it's not all terrible. You know, yes, there were some terrible trends. Mm-hmm. But if you know where to look you can find some pretty great stuff in every era of comics. But yeah, to me that the late eighties, early nineties, whether we consider that part of the same age or different ages is something we've already had the debate about. That's where I've got the most nostalgia for the stories. Okay. And no, you're right. I mean, despite why I made joking calling it the Chromium age, there's a lot of amazing stuff in the nineties. You just have to look a bit, but I mean, like you said, that New Warriors book, um, just real quick to say, Starman, Sandman, Preacher, uh, Hellboy starts that in the 90s. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff there. Hitman. But anyway, so, it's John's turn. Um, I'm going to piggyback off... Uh, hold on. Did he just... It sounded like he fell. Apparently, he, he took his mic of... for a piggyback ride and it ran away from him. <laughs> I'm thinking Revenge of the Nerds, the... too. Hey, I'm the only guy in the world who could break his leg playing chess. Hey, don't get down on yourself, Gilbert. That was a very tricky move. <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea behind Blaine is, is you know, your, your favorite is, is where you grew up. You know, I've, I've explored a lot of ages. I've read a lot of Golden Age. I've read a lot of Silver Age. Um, I've read... Bronze Age for characters that I like. The '80s is still an era that I'm, I'm sort of still mining slowly. I've read a lot of Spider-Man and X-Men from that era. That's about it. I'd like to read more. But when I think of my favorite comics and like 
the things I really, really want to read, I think, is stuff from the 90s. But, you know, I also think of a lot of current stuff. Gosh, I'm a terrible question-answering person. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. So, there's there's so much good comics being made out there. So many good comics being made out there right now. Um, I, I, I'm reading Saga. I'm reading The Walking Dead. I'm reading Sex Criminals. I'm reading the, the relaunch of the Valiant Universe. I'm reading so many fun good solid entertaining books so in one respect my favorite era is like right now <laughs> but if i'm looking back in the past in history then yeah um circa 1990 you know maybe 89 to 93 that's kind of like my sweet spot for for what i was growing up with and that's kind of what i think of in my head when i picture good comics i think of those comics but yeah I like it all, too. So, there's that. Alright. Brian? Uh, my answer's very similar to John's. Um, I have well, a lot of... <laughs> that's interesting, because mine was kind of everywhere. <laughs> no, well, uh, the crux of John's. I sp- I sp- after the last couple of hours, I feel like I, I've, I've gotten okay at speaking John. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but what I was going to say is uh, to echo a, a thread that, that was in John's answer. I have a lot of nostalgia for the mid '80s um, because that's when I started reading comics, specifically the Spider-Man and X-Men uh, stuff of that era, because that was very, very much a thing that I was into at that time, and it takes me back to those heady early days of you know going to Heroes World uh, and buying. For 65 cents a pop, you know, buying Web of Spider-Man or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes down to what are my favorite comics, what are the ones that I go back to and reread once a year, once every two years, what are the ones that I am most likely to ask um, my loved ones and discerning fellow nerds to read? That's all stuff that's coming out now. That's all stuff that's come out pretty much in the last 15 years or so. So, um, yeah, I'd have to say, I'd have to say to sum it up, uh, right now, probably my favorite era. I think we are genuinely living in a new, new true golden age of comics. And I'd say right now is when my favorite comics are being made. All right. So I guess we're more or less in agreement on that because I, again, right now there is my problem right now is that there's too much stuff that I'm looking that I'm going, Ooh, I want to get that. And I want to get that, but I don't either money or time. Is always a, is more of the problem than finding good stuff now to read. You know, my things, of, my list of things I want to read eventually is too long. There's a lot of great. There is way too much awesome stuff I want to pick up on. But but, I, but at least if looking back at periods, at least recently, and obviously there's a pretty good reason why, I really have grown to have a huge affection for the Bronze Age proper. Those '70s books, 1970s books. Are you guys still there? Delusion? Yeah. yeah, I'm here. I'm here. For some reason, it all of a sudden got so quiet. Like, everyone was muted. and I was like, wait, is everyone there? We were hanging on your every word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I've just grown to have such an appreciation for those 70s-era books. Maybe a bit more of the Marvel than the DC, but it just seems like they were just... All these fan creators were so trying to put so much relevance in their books and put actual... Um, real world events and life and time that it almost feels like 
to me, a lot of times reading these, like, these characters continued aging and going, and they're not the same ones in the 80s, because these guys got old, older now. You know, like, these were, you know, they existed in the 70s and of the 70s. I don't know, it's just, I'm really enjoying, probably because of doing the, you know, the Warlock book, I'm sorry, the Warlock podcast with all those uh, Bronze Age books. But I'm just having a lot of fun delving into those. But yeah, I love every age. I love stuff from every age. It's always good stuff. Like I told you, Brian, that, that Human Torch story is actually a lot of fun for a bronze for a Golden Age story. True. With True. But note, 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 you had the caveat in there for a Golden Age story. Yeah. I mean, it's a different one. It's a whole one-page, one-issue story. Plus, I mean, it has, it has like a whole, it's almost like a, actually has the Marvel Universe there at that time. Kazar's in it. Uh, well, the original Kazar. The, the Angel's in it. The Patriot's in it. Like it was like a book. For, it was like they looked in the future and tried to do something that they were going to be doing thirty years from then in that one issue. Well, yeah, but was that something where they're looking at where the comic industry was, or was that a cue that they took from the film industry? Because the, the that would have been right around the time that Universal started crossing over their horror franchises oh. and gave those a huge shot in the arm for the resales with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. I didn't think about that. Oh, nice pull. Yeah, that was about the same time, 1940, 41. Social media is definitely one of the best friends a podcast can have. When somebody likes and shares your show, there's a potential now that somebody who doesn't know about it might actually see them sharing it and be interested enough to check it out. So I would like to thank all the people who did help our show on social media, specifically on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter... Our last episode, episode 12, the first part of our discussion on the modern age, was retweeted and liked by Justin the Buck, Jason Snick Menable, Derek Moreland, and Sleepy Reader. On Facebook, it was liked and shared by Clinton Robinson, Pat Sampson, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Martin Gray, Clifford Alvarez, Michael Allen Carlisle, Trentus Magnus, Justin Lesniak, and Joe Sedano. So if you remember from last episode, I went on Facebook and asked a couple other podcasters what they thought came after the Bronze Age of Comics. I still have a few more to go through, so we're going to do that now. We heard from Ryan Daly, the host of Power Fishnets and Midnight the Podcasting Hour. He says, I like Diablo Frank's title, The Chromium Age, for late 80s to mid 90s era, but there is definitely an era between bronze and that. Well, Ryan, you're pretty much there with me. I definitely agree there was an era after the bronze. And I even called mine the, the, the 90s era, the Chromium Age. The only difference I think we had was you go from late 80s to mid 90s. Mine pretty much was all the 90s for the Chromium Age. But otherwise, right there with me. Cool. Always nice to know when someone else agrees with you. We also heard from Michael Lane from the Kirby cast and Comics in the Golden Age. He says, I definitely subscribe to Crisis being the end of the Bronze Age. I've heard Copper Age and other names for the next period and don't really have an opinion on that. But I think Crisis was far and away the biggest defining line between comics of the 70s and early 80s and what came after. It really encapsulates the transformation of what comics were trying to become that decade. Okay, your Bronze Age goes a little later than mine, Michael, but that's fine. As we've discovered over this conversation over the last several episodes, everyone has different criteria for what makes up the age. So therefore, everyone's ages are going to end at different time periods. And even people who are using the same criteria it still doesn't exactly work out to be the exact same thing for everybody. So I can definitely see his point with Crisis. That's not what I'm using, but I can see his point. We hear from Chris Sheenan from Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. He says, I know the Tashin DC books refer to it as the Dark Age, 
I never liked that. Now, in case you're wondering, the Tash and DC books are four hardcover coffee table type books. Tashin is the publisher. Uh, these four books were about the different ages of DC Comics. Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, and then Dark Age was, well, the modern age. Each one had uh, things written up in there about the diff- each different age, what seemed to define that age, things about the artists and writers, and then also a whole bunch of covers from those time periods. I will put up a link in the show notes so you can see what they are. I have one of them, The Silver Age, and I do need to get the others. They are really nice, though, looking books. They're really awesome. And they're not that expensive. They're about $20, $25 each. If you have an interest in either comic book history or DC Comics, or the history of DC Comics, they're worth picking up. Finally, we heard from Jerry McMullen from The Worst Comic Podcast Ever. He says, Two years ago, I wrote up a history of comics feature for a program. This is how I broke it down. 1930s to 1945, Golden Age, 1945 to 1956, Dark Age, 1956 to 1973, Silver Age, 1973 to 1987, Bronze Age, 1987 to 2000, Business Age, 2000 to present, Digital Age. Well, Jerry, you and I definitely coincide in a few places. You definitely are at least one person who agrees with me that there was an age between the Golden and Silver. You call it the Dark Age, I go of Atomic Age, but it's more or less the same years, I think. Your Bronze Age goes a little later than mine, but that's fine. Looks like you're more along the lines of Michael about Crisis, because that's about the time Crisis ended. And while I don't think of 87 to 2000 as one age, by calling it the Business Age, I can see where he's going with that. So I can see, and that's actually a perspective, I'm not sure if we really went there in this show, so that's a new way of looking at it. But 2000 to present, I don't know if that will be called the digital age. It's too soon to tell, I think, but it's very possible. (laughs) Digital age is definitely up in the running for, I think, for the title of this current era. And again, thank you to everyone who either responded to my question or at least liked and shared the show on social media. Hello, everyone. I'm Al Sedano, host of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Over the last few years, this show has covered Adam's life, from his early appearances in Fantastic Four and Thor, to his run as Space Jesus on Counter-Earth. Now, we have made it midway through the 1970s, and Jim Starlin's iconic run on the character. The Magus, Gamora, Pip the Troll, and Adam finally meeting Thanos. Speaking of Thanos, we haven't forgotten about him. We will soon be starting our coverage of Starlin's hardcover graphic novel, The Infinity Relativity, starring Thanos. So join me, along with my regular co-hosts, John Wilson and Brian Zeno, as well as others, on Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com guess we're at the end of that um does anyone else have any final thoughts on this topic well i was just gonna go back and talk about all of the ages all over again real quick <laughs> and just pull out some highlights and no i'm done <laughs> uh, yeah no i i uh, just that i've enjoyed i've really enjoyed doing this good yeah I, i've also enjoyed this uh, just to follow up a while ago al you, you mentioned that one of the defining attributes of the bronze age to you was sort of the, the rise 
of the anti-hero. Mm-hmm. When do you guys think we're going to see the rise of the uncle hero? Mm. Mm. Or the or the grunkle hero for all you Steven, uh, um, Gravity Falls fans out there. Well, I mean, you had the granny hero in the in the Golden Age with Red Tornado. So seventies yeah. would be anti-hero. We we had a different kind of anti-hero in the assistant editors month issue of Marvel Team Up. Golden oldie. Oh wow! Yeah, that was that one that wasn't there. Wow. She gave Galactus a Twinkie. Uh, That's the Twinkie from Ghostbusters. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? <laughs> you know what? You know what, Blaine? This reminds me of that time that you tried to drill a hole in your head. That would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. <laughs> now I need to watch Ghostbusters. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you need to watch it to quote these? My cousin and I went to the quote along Ghostbusters. It took the the look of projection as 15 minutes to get the subtitles working. That didn't stop us from quoting along the entire time. Oh, no, I don't need to see the quote. I just now it makes me want to watch it again. Where do these stairs go? They go up. They go, go up. up. <laughs> Dropping off or picking up? Dropping off. Just a moment. <laughs> You know, you're a real humanitarian. I don't think he's human. <laughs> I collect spores, molds, and fungus. It's good to have a hobby. Wait. I also love playing racquetball. Listen. Do you smell something? <laughs> Someone blows their nose and you try to keep it. <laughs> you're right. No human being would stack books this way. <laughs> That was okay. your plan. Get her. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless we're going to sit here for another, uh, well, let me see. I'm going to guess hour and, yeah, hour and 41 minutes. We've been at it for about five minutes. Yes. To finish yes. off the rest of the soundtrack, we probably should wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm just about out. I got to get rolling, so. All right. Well, hey. Well, thanks. Uh, it's a good well, I'm sorry. Well, before we end, anyone want to plug anything or tell people to go anywhere? Or that sounds wrong. But yeah, you want to put, you want to tell someone to go somewhere? Go right ahead. <laughs> I'll tell you where to get off. No, wait, that's. Uh, Brian, do you have anything you want to say? At the end, uh, I got nothing to plug. Nowhere to and nowhere to tell anyone to go. Just um, I I will be continuing to turn up on a variety of Al's podcasts. So anything that has Al's uh, name on it, keep listening to it. I like that, John. I am not going to talk about plugging anything or getting off, um, but you can follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. There's no H in John Reads Comics. And Blaine? Uh, all of my podcasts can be found at Bureau42.com. There's a few that have been announced and are wrap, some that are wrapping up shortly. New ones coming, some with firm dates, some with less firm dates and voices that will be familiar to people who are just listening to this podcast we did now. Ooh, mysterious. Mm. All right, well... It be. Ah. Okay, I'll try to remember if I did what, if I did something I forgot. Thank you all for being on this. This was definitely a lot of fun, at least for me, and definitely went places I wasn't expecting, which is a good thing. Because otherwise I would have been too boring. Right. And you could have done this yourself. Exactly. <laughs> I could have just used, I used voices. They have puppets. 
Mm. <laughs> Puppetry and audio podcasts. <laughs> yeah, see, that, that Al earlier said that it wasn't just he was crazy. There's other human beings here that he's had that experience where, you know, he goes back to edit and he's like, why is there only one voice? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and S. Brian from anyone who knew me in school, most of them would believe that. <laughs> yes. Music for this podcast was Going Higher, provided by royalty-free music from bensound.com. Before we go further with the Silver Age, I just want to make sure if anybody, I just want to, I forgot to ask this before we started, does anyone have time restrictions? Because I don't need to have this all done as one episode, and, you know, if we need to record again at some point, you know, we can get together again in January, February, whatever works for people. I just want to make sure if anyone needs to be off at a certain time, we could, we'll plan on being done by then. Uh, I can go right. until I pass out. Okay. <laughs> I have to record a podcast with Paul Spitaro in 23 hours and 39 minutes. Oh. So that's it. Um, we got to rush. Yeah. I, I, don't have, I don't have a hard out, as I often do when we record in the mornings. Um, but uh, I, well, I'll play it by ear. But I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, if we start pushing midnight, that's going to probably um, start to uh, crimp the home life here, but that's a different story. So okay. we'll see how much we're, we're doing pretty good so far. So, sure. and Hey, you can always and nap during the show. John's done it plenty of times before. Wow. <laughs> uh, also, Al, I may ask for a reprieve in the morning. If we go too late here tonight, that's fine. We can always do like we said, um, one of those other dates I said, oh, uh, that Friday I'm off, I'm off Friday and next Friday. So that's cool. We can always work on one of those two days. What about the Twinkie?